Bible and turn to John chapter 1. Don't be seated yet. We need to do our gospel reading for the day and then our sermon text. We're reading through John's gospel. Last week we were introduced to the forerunner, John the Baptist. We will soon discover that that is John the Baptist. And today we pick it up at verse 9. And I'll read verses 9 through 13. John chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, just like Carson... He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What a powerful statement. Our sermon text is in 1 Peter chapter 5. We continue our study of 1 Peter. We're getting in the home stretch now, about to wrap up this letter, and then we'll move right into 2 Peter, Lord willing. Um, 1 Peter chapter 5. Verses 1 through 4. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your precious word. Speak to us today, Father. Please. Give us ears to hear what you want to say to us today. And hearts to embrace it with gladness and joy. And obedience. Father, I thank you again for my church family. And I thank you for every Sunday morning. I thank you for gathering us here in this building to worship your great and mighty name, to fellowship together in your spirit, to come to the table of grace and remember what Jesus has done for us and commune with him. And to hear your word read and preached. What a blessed, blessed privilege. May we never take it for granted. May we hear the words that we've just sung. Remind us of where our heart is secure. In you and you alone. That we may not fear anymore. For perfect love casts out fear. Bless this church family, Father. As we hear you speak to us about elders today, thank you for my fellow elders. Grant us grace, courage, wisdom in the days ahead. For the good of this flock and the glory of your name. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus, 
our chief shepherd. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. We've been away from this study for about six weeks. You know, I, uh, we had missionaries come in during July and a couple of other elders preached. And uh, as I took a little refresher from the pulpit, uh, uh, I'm always eager to get back. So we've been away from First Peter uh, for about six or seven weeks. I won't do a full-fledged review, but I will do a quick review of chapter four, a very brief review, because the end of chapter four leads right into what we're looking at today. If you remember, we spent three weeks uh, in chapter four, and uh, we basically uh, were told this. Don't be surprised when you experience hardships. It comes with being a Christian. It comes with our union with Christ. Jesus suffered, so will we. Jesus was hated and persecuted, we will be also. So don't think it's strange when God sends trials our way. In fact, it's a blessing, and God uses them to mature us and to show forth the reality of our faith to a Uh, A dying world, a dark world, a world that needs what we have. We should not be ashamed of suffering because Jesus wasn't. He pressed on through Gethsemane and the phony trial and the beatings and the scourging and the ridicule all the way to the cross where he paid for the sins of everyone who would believe in him. Instead, Praise God for the joy of belonging to him and sharing in the sufferings of his son. We also learn that God disciplines his people through trials for their good. He punishes severely and eternally those who reject his gospel. We are exhorted to keep trusting God and doing good in the power of the Spirit of God with instruction from the Word of God for the single-hearted purpose of the glory of God. So if you are not a Christian, confess Jesus today and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead and avoid the eternal punishment that awaits all non-believers. If you are a Christian, press on. Keep your gaze fixed on Jesus, keep trusting our faithful God, and keep letting your light shine for a world that desperately needs God and his undeserved gracious forgiveness. That basically was the message of chapter 4. Now, after talking extensively under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit about fiery trials, Peter goes right to elders in the beginning of chapter 5. Remember, there there were no chapter divisions in the original text. Uh, That was put in later by uh, interpreters uh, and translators to help in our reading of it, Uh, okay? But remember, no chapter divisions. So Peter's instruction regarding elders flows right from his words about fiery trials. Now, why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? Ponder that for a minute. Well, ultimately, the ultimate answer is the Holy Spirit inspired him 
to address elders next. And, and we could just stop there, but take it a step further. Why do you think the Holy Spirit, why do you think God directed him to speak to the elders right after talking about hard times, tribulations, and trials? Well, just maybe, just maybe, let me throw something out there for you to chew on. Just maybe elders are vital in helping people navigate through difficult times. Just maybe. As Chuck Swindle writes, quote, this discussion of pastoral leadership appears in the context of how Christians can endure the fiery ordeal of unjust treatment, trials, and tribulations in this life as they look with hope toward the next, end quote. So, it seems to be, based on the order of wording here and the way this first Peter is laid out, that strong leadership is vital if the people of God are to thrive in a world that basically hates them. Biblical shepherding and Christ-like leadership is vital if the church is going to keep their eyes on the chief shepherd and press on with joy and perseverance in a holy and hostile, in an unholy, excuse me, in an unholy and hostile world. The sheep of God need to know that their earthly shepherds have their back. They need to know that the shepherd is not going to run and hide when the wolves encircle the flock. God's flock needs uncompromising, loving, protective shepherds in a world currently dominated by lying and deceiving wolves who are both outside and, sadly, inside the sheepfold. Now, there's another possibility. 1 Peter 4.17, remember what Peter said there. Remember he said, uh, um, for it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. So, if judgment is to begin at the house of God, it must begin with the leaders of the people of God. That's where it starts. It's got to start at the top. Elders, pastors, overseers, and all those terms are used interchangeably throughout the New Testament, referring to the same office, the same person. Elders, pastors, or shepherds, overseers must be examined first. Every elder of the church of God needs to have the heart of David that we read in Psalm 26, verses 1 and 2. Where David writes, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I've walked in my integrity and I've trusted in the Lord without wavering. And then he says this, Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. So fellow elders, Mark, Ryan, Jeremy, Justin, 
May we hear in our spirit this morning what Job heard when he was confronted by the Lord in chapter 38 of Job, verse 3, where God enters the picture after this long discourse between Job and his counselors, okay? God enters the picture and says to Job, dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Are, you, are your knees trembling? That's the heart we've got to have, guys. My fellow elders, the chief shepherd wants to question us this morning from this inspired text. And may we hear it like the men of God he has called us to be and respond accordingly. And to, the re- to, the, to all the rest of you, all the, all the non-elders in the building, which makes up about, uh, if I do my math right, about 98% of the congregation. I say this. I realize some of you may be thinking, oh, great. Man, this is great. I can check out. This isn't for me. This message is for Butch and, and the four other guys. Well, yeah, it is. But what about the future elders that may be sitting here this morning? I'm looking at faces of young men, young guys. Who knows what God has planned for them? One day they could be standing here. One day they could be meeting over there in that room every month. I believe that with all my heart. And, 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 and what about all of you? Everybody, all of us, all of you will be called, if you remain here for any length of time, and I hope it'll be a long, long time. One of the key elements of strong New Testament churches are longevity with each other, commitment to each other, commitment to work through the, the, the secondary disagreements that may arise or, or the little picky little things that so many people get upset about. And, and the more we live in this world, the more we realize those things aren't worth it. Let's focus on the main things and press on. So, so one day, if you, if, you're, if you hang here for any time, one day you'll be called to nominate elders in the future. So we all, all of us, elder or not, all of us need to understand what kind of leaders our elders should be. So I'm, I'm, ex- I'm exhorting, I'm urging, I'm pleading with every non-elder who want to think, okay, this is just for the elders so I can check out. I'm pleading with you not to do that. You need to know how to pray for us. This message will help you in how to pray for us. So 98 to 99% of you don't check out because Peter's talking to elders. Okay? All right. You with me? All right. So here we have before us one one of the definitive texts on elders, if not the definitive text. It's like a job description for elders. The role, it lays out the role of the elders. And every believer needs to be familiar with that role, whether they will ever be elders or not. So let's press on. First, we see from Peter, the apostle, what I've called the humble self-description. So if you're following along on your seat saver, 
<laughs> I, sermon sheet, right? I come in with everyone. There's 50 sermon sheets on the, on the seat. So we'll call them seat savers. Great. If that's all you use it for, great. That's great. Okay. So we're on Roman numeral two here of your sermon sheet, the humble self-description. First, he calls himself a fellow elder. That's interesting, isn't it? He calls himself a fellow elder. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. He doesn't mention his apostleship. In a, in a display of humility, he puts himself on their level. As Spurgeon points out, he does not say, as an apostle I command, but as an elder I exhort. He tenderly exhorts them. He positively encourages them. He's an encourager, not a commander. He doesn't preach down to them. And dear church family, I I never want to do that to you. I never, and I know I speak for all the elders, we never want to preach down to our church family. Please, please tell me if I do. Please approach me in love and grace and tell me if if I do. I'm in this journey with you. I'm in this fight with you. And that, that is not to neglect my calling to lead, but I want to strive to lead among you the, the terms that the very terms that Peter uses. I want to lead among you as a part of you. As Peter states in verses 1 and 2, and I hope that makes sense. In this wording, Peter demonstrates that elders must fight against pride. The call to leadership must not go to our heads. Elders must be servant leaders. They must be encouragers and exhorters who walk shoulder to shoulder with their people, not domineering dictators who lord it over their flock. And we'll talk more about that later as we move on through the passage. We see here that Peter is definitely not the first pope, as the Roman church teaches. If that were true, he would have never called himself a fellow elder. Never. Second, he states that he is a witness of the sufferings of Christ. A witness of the sufferings of Christ. Peter is affirming that he was an eyewitness of the ministry years of Jesus. Again, Charles Spurgeon says this, and I think when he was writing to these elders, he seemed to say to them, feed the flock of God, for I saw with my eyes the great shepherd when he bought that flock. I was there when he purchased the sheep with his own blood. But there's also a second way to look at this. A witness is not only somebody who sees something, But a witness is someone who proclaims. I mean, when you call a witness to the standing court, what are they supposed to do? Tell about what they saw. They're to tell about what they've witnessed. So Peter witnessed with his own eyes the sufferings of Christ, and he continues to witness with his words Christ and him crucified. So this phrase can also refer to Peter's preaching of the cross. Like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.23, but we preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. 
So Peter's a fellow elder. He puts himself on their level. He's with them. He's a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He actually saw Jesus suffer, but he also proclaims the theological import of those sufferings. Third, he confirms that he's a partaker in the coming glory. He's a partaker in the coming glory. Remember that Peter was on the Mount of Transfiguration with James and John when Jesus was gloriously transfigured. So Peter got a glimpse, sort of a preview of coming attractions. He got a glimpse of Jesus in his glory. So he was a partaker of it then, but he's going to be a partaker of it with every other believer when Jesus comes to fully consummate his kingdom and to be revealed in his ultimate glory. Peter says, I'll be there. I'll be there. I'll be a partaker in that coming, coming glory. Let's pause here and ask that question to the congregation. Will you? Will, will you? Will you be there when Jesus returns? If you're not sure about that, today's the day. Today's the day of salvation. Don't hesitate any longer. Why would you wait? You're not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not guaranteed tonight. You're not guaranteed the next hour. You're not guaranteed your next breath. Why would you wait? Why would you put it off? Confirm your place in the revelation of the coming glory and be a partaker with Peter. Today's the day of salvation. Roman number three on your sermon sheet, uh, we see the earnest exhortation. The earnest exhortation, verse two, shepherd. It's a verb in the, in the imperative mood. It's a command. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So the earnest exhortation is to shepherd the flock. Shepherd the flock. Lead the sheep. Take care of the sheep. Protect the sheep. Feed the sheep. This is eldership in one word. Shepherding. Shepherding. Elders are shepherds called to care for the flock of God. And that's an important point. It is God's flock. It is God's flock. It's not the elders' flock. The elders are part of the flock. Okay? The elders kind of have a a dual role. They're part of the flock, but they're also shepherds of the flock. But it isn't their flock. It's not my flock. It's not Mark's flock. It's not Ryan's flock. It's not Jeremy's flock. It's not Justin's flock. It's God's flock. Alexander Strzok puts it like this. uh, And... Don't look, at the, don't look at the back of your seat holder, okay? This is a Saturday quote. You know how Saturday quotes never make it to the sheet. This was a last-minute edition. But Strzok says this in his new book on, just a whole book on Acts 20 and Paul's final uh, word to the Ephesian elders. Very poignant scene and very instructive as to the role of elders. In fact, time permitting, I want to I end with that when we get to the end. But anyway, Strzok puts it like this, quote, The local church does not belong to the elders, the apostles, or any other person or group. It does not belong to Martin Luther, John Calvin, or John Wesley, or any other individual or denomination. It is the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Every elder needs to remember that. 
that every member of this flock are people that were bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. We must never, ever forget that. This is God's flock. We're just called to be stewards. He's appointed us to take care of his flock. Oh, I pray I never forget that. It looks like Peter is passing the baton that Jesus gave him. Visual eight, the baton. He's passing the baton. Okay. I got here to always remind me that one day I'm going to pass this baton. I'm going to pass this spot to somebody else, okay? That's a constant reminder. And that's what it looks like Peter's doing here. Jesus gave him the baton in John 21. Turn there. Turn there. John chapter 21. And now Peter is passing it to the elders here. John chapter 21, a very poignant account of Peter's restore, you remember he had denied Jesus three times. And Jesus um, subtly reminds him of that by asking him three times if he loved him. Let's just refresh our memory with this. We're all familiar with this. John chapter 21, uh, beginning at verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter. So he's with the disciples eating breakfast, and now he has a one-on-one with with Peter, with Simon Peter. I think that's intentional. Peter's at a point where he could go either way. You know, Simon was his old life. Jesus gave him the name Peter to represent his new life as an apostle of Christ. But Peter has just denied Jesus, so... Hmm, which is it? Is it Simon or is it Peter? And so the Holy Spirit calls him both names. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, oh, Jesus calls him Simon. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? We don't know what the these are. Is it more than these other guys? Or more than these things, the boat, the nets, the fish, the lake, you know, your old life. I said, that'll be a neat discussion in heaven. What were the these, Jesus? Who, what were you talking about there? Doesn't really matter. Do you love me more than anything else? It could be anything. Do you lo- Am I at the top of your love list? Am I your number one love? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Be a shepherd. Be a shepherd. So elders, you know, here's what we're going to see here. Let me just go ahead and jump to the punchline here. The way we show love to Jesus is by being a good shepherd. Because every time Jesus asks him this, he comes back with, basically, be the shepherd I've called you to be. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. Tend my sheep. Take care of them. Feed them. Feed my lambs. Feed the young ones. Feed the spiritually immature. Feed the new Christians. Feed my lambs. 
Tend my sheep. Take care of all of them. No matter their maturity. Tend them. Take care of them. Watch over them. Oversee them. That, that's how you show you love me. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved. His heart was broken. Then he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, look what Peter does now. Look what Peter does right here. And I want to ask you if you can do this this morning. Lord, you know everything. You know everything. You're omniscient. You know me. You know my heart. You don't even have to ask me these questions. You know I love you. You know all things. Now, can you say that to Jesus this morning? Jesus, you know all things. You don't have to ask me if I love you. You can look at my heart and know that I love you. Can you say that? If not, you know what it is. Today's the day of salvation. Because coming with salvation is a prioritized love for Jesus over everything else, over everything else. Lord, you, you know all things. You know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, he didn't, he didn't change the response. Feed my sheep. See, did you get it? Feed my lambs, feed the young ones, feed the spiritually immature ones, feed the newborn babes in Christ, and also feed my sheep, feed the older ones, feed the mature ones. Never stop feeding them, no matter what their level of growth. So Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you, okay? Shepherd the flock. Prove it by shepherding the flock. Brother elders, we got to hear that. We got to hear that this morning. That's how we show our love for Jesus. One, one of the many ways we show our love for Jesus. But we're in the context this morning of shepherding the flock. I love these words from uh, D.R. Helm. He says, take great encouragement from this, what, the, what we just read. From John 21. Take great encouragement from this. On the day Peter didn't feel able to lead, God restored him, called him, and made him fit for the office. And he will equip men for the same office today. God will continue to raise up qualified men to shepherd his flock. And like Peter, these men will express their love for Christ by extending themselves in love to God's people. So brothers, let's hear that today, afresh and anew. God entrusts the spiritual care of his people to elders who are to be shepherds, men who model Christ's likeness, men who protect the flock from the satanic system of the world and false teaching wolves within the church, men who minister to the flock with selfless service, men who feed the flock by teaching and proclaiming the life-giving, nourishing, sanctifying Word of God, the bread of life. As Peter said in the early, in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, when people were deserting Jesus, when the phony disciples were all leaving because of Jesus' hard words about like 
No one comes to me unless the Father enables him. And people were leaving him. And Jesus looked at Peter and the other guys and said, Are you going to leave me too? And Peter said, Where else are we going to go? Where else are we going to go? Only you have the words of eternal life. So gang, where else are we going to go? What else are we going to teach? Here it is. This is the only book that contains the words of eternal life, the words of Jesus. There's nowhere else to go. Nowhere else to go. So, J.P. Lang sums it up pretty well in, his, in this exhortation to elders. He tells us, quote, to lead the flock to the wholesome pasture of the divine word, guard it from the poisonous weeds of false doctrine, and go before it by your own example in well-doing. Roman numeral four. Peter then gives a clarifying elaboration. A clarifying elaboration. He elaborates on what a shepherd does and how he is to do it. He, he clarifies the shepherding role. Okay? He says, exercise, we're in the middle of verse two there. Okay, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Okay, then here's the elaboration. Exercising oversight. Exercising oversight. And then he gives three ways to do that. Or three ways not to do it and three ways to do it. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So Peter immediately elaborates on the role of the shepherd. He says that as shepherds, elders are to be exercising oversight. The term emphasizes, as Strzok says, the idea of guardianship and supervision. So elders are overseers. They are shepherds who, who oversee, who serve as, as, as supervisors and guardians. I just see this as simply another word to clarify what shepherding entails. As one commentator said, quote, to oversee the flock is to take care of it, watch over it, and to accept responsibility over its welfare and protection. In other words... Be a shepherd. Be a shepherd. Throughout the New Testament, we see these words used interchangeably. Shepherd or pastor, overseer, elder. Used interchangeably. Then, he tells us how to carry out the calling. And he gives Three negatives and three positives. First, we're to do it willingly and not grudgingly. Willingly and not grudgingly. Not under compulsion, but willingly. In other words, gladly. Gladly. Doing this has got to be the, one of the most utmost desires of our heart. Do it with joy. Not out of obligation. Not out of a sense of duty. The elder the biblical elder wants to do this. He wants to do it. He desires to do it. He has a deep desire to serve the flock in this way. 
Consider a quick quote, real quick, on this. Swindoll, Chuck Swindoll. Involuntary ministry leads to lack of enthusiasm, lack of motivation, mediocrity, and even depression. You know, studies have shown, I, I didn't go back and get the exact figure or the exact stat, but depression among pastors is huge. Bailing out, quitting, going to uh, therapy for depression, it's huge, it's huge. Well, maybe that's part of the reason they really didn't want to do this. It was just a job for them. I don't know. But depression, I do know depression is huge among the category of pastors in our country. David Helm writes, quote, Men who serve only from a sense of duty will not have the requisite love necessary for God's people to flourish. And J.P. Lang said, The willing spirit flows from the love we cherish for the chief, chief shepherd and the flock. So we're to do it willingly, not grudgingly. Secondly, we're to do it eagerly. Eagerly, not greedily. Alistair Beck said, sacrificial, not selfish. Sacrificial, not selfish. It's not, what can this people do for me, but how can I best serve these people? One of the qualifications for elders from 1 Timothy 3.3 is that it'll be free from a love of money. Can't be in it for the money. Can't be in it for the money. The elder is not just willing to serve, but eager to serve, zealous to serve, with a genuine enthusiasm that springs from a shepherd's heart. And then thirdly and finally, we're to do it in an exemplary manner, not bossy. We're to be exemplary, set an example, not bossy, not, as Peter puts it, uh, uh, being examples to the flock, not domineering over those in your charge. Other translations say not lording it over your flock. So exemplary, not bossy. Uh, striving to be a role model, not a self-righteous master. Once again, Peter is passing on basically what the Lord taught him. Remember these words in Mark chapter 10, verses 42 and 43. And Jesus called them, the disciples, the apostles, to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. For whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And then in John 13, how did Jesus illustrate that he washed their feet he washed these guys feet and said I'm leaving you an example of how to lead I think of uh, Paul in two places of scripture 2 Corinthians 1 24 I've always loved this verse he says not that we lord it over your faith but we work with you for your joy That's what an elder is called to do, to work with their people for their joy. For you stand firm in your faith. I never want to forget that. In 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Paul said, be imitators of me. Sounds kind of arrogant, right? But then you read on, as I am of Christ. 
In other words, I'm striving to follow Christ's example. Now follow me in doing that. And let's pray for each other in that. Swindle gives some other ways elders would be examples. He gave several. I picked out three to share with you this morning. Um, fellow elders, realize that you'll always be a student. You'll always be a student. We will all, no matter how smart we get, we'll always be a student. We never arrive. We will always be a student of the Lord. We will always be in His school of discipleship. We must stay teachable. We must remain hungry for the Word, especially as we get older. As we get older, we might tend to relax. We can never relax in the area of learning. Someone once said, those who finish well maintain a positive learning attitude all their lives. And beloved, I want to finish well. And part of finishing well is, is, is remaining uh, a, a student, knowing that I'm always a student. I will always be a student. I will never come close. None of us will ever come close to knowing everything. Not even close. It also means admitting when we're wrong. Know-it-alls aren't very winsome. Nobody likes a know-it-all. Stand strong when you know you're right, when you're 100% confident that you're right. Stand firm, stand strong. But admit those times when you were wrong. A second suggestion Swindle gives us is that we're to realize that we're, all, we're also a follower. While we're shepherds, we're also sheep. We're also sheep. We're sheep to the ultimate shepherd, the chief shepherd, Jesus. And guess what? We're, we're sheep to each other. That's the beauty of the elder system. God is so wise. He's so wise. I'm so thankful he didn't set up the, the one-man CEO model. I love these brothers. I know when somebody asks me a hard question, I can always say, man, I got to go to the elders with that. That's so beautiful. That is so freeing. And so confident building, too, because we come together on it. And it makes each one of us more confident in, the, in our response to the possibly difficult question. So realize that you're a follower. So follow Jesus well, beloved. Follow your fellow elders well. Follow the example of older teachers and elders who have persevered. Read good books. It's one of the greatest ways to be a follower. Read books by people much wiser than you. Remember that when Jesus washed his disciples' feet, he was given an example of servanthood that we are called to follow. Swindle wrote, we can be examples to the flock only when we're engaged in the same kind of service we expect from others serving with us. And then finally, last one I want to share with you, Swindle said, don't take yourself too seriously. Don't take yourself too seriously. You're a sinner saved by grace like every other believer in your flock. You're on the same, you're in the same category with them. You need God's grace just as much, maybe more, probably more than they do. So don't, don't, don't take yourself too seriously. And then finally, he gives us the glorious prediction in verse 4, the glorious prediction. And when the chief shepherd appears, whoo, 
you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. When the chief shepherd appears, and that day is coming, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So guys, when things get tough in ministry, here's our motivation to persevere. And guess what? Guess what? Elders aren't going to be the only ones to get crowns on that day. Listen to these verses. 2 Timothy 4.8. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. This is Paul speaking. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do you love the appearing of Jesus? Are you looking forward to that? Then you get in a crown. You get in a crown. James 1.12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So all you folks that love God, all you folks that have withstood and stood fast through trials, you got a crown coming. It won't be just the elders, guy. We won't be off there some, in some little private group getting crowns and, you know, kind of snickering at you and stuff. No, no, we're all getting crowns. We're all getting crowns. Crowns for being elders, crowns for standing firm, crowns for loving God, crowns for loving Jesus' return. And then Revelation 2.10, be faithful unto death. Finish well, finish strong, press on. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. So the crown thing isn't just an elder-only thing, gang. It's for all of us. Listen, let's ponder this this morning before we come to this table. Jesus wore a crown of thorns so that we could receive a crown of glory. Jesus wore the crown of humiliation so that we could wear a crown of exaltation. Jesus wore the crown of death so that we could receive the crown of life. Before we close, let's focus on this title, Chief Shepherd. I loved pondering this this week. When the Chief Shepherd appears, Chief Shepherd. Now, if you're familiar with Scripture, you know you see other places uh, in Scripture that where Jesus is called the Good Shepherd, like John chapter 10, or the Great Shepherd, like in Hebrews 13, 20, the, the benediction we're going to use this morning at the end of the service. But Chief Shepherd is a little different. Think about it. Chief Shepherd implies preeminent among many. In other words, he is not alone in this title. Okay. Well, yeah, he's alone in that he's the only chief shepherd, but the very word chief implies that he kind of shares something with others. I believe this title reminds every elder in every church on the planet, that there's someone to whom they will answer. And just as Jesus is King of Kings, and just as Jesus is Lord of Lords, He is also Shepherd of Shepherds. While elders are shepherds to their local flock, they are also a part of the flock 
of which Christ is the ultimate shepherd. Okay, we can think about it like this. Okay, let me try to say it a different way. In dying for his sheep, in the atonement, in the laying down of his life for his sheep, Jesus is absolutely alone. He is the good shepherd all by himself who, who laid down his life for his sheep. In justifying his sheep, he is the, alone in his glorious resurrection. And in that, he is the great shepherd. All alone, all by himself. But in caring for his sheep, he is the chief shepherd. He is the ultimate shepherd, and he works in this life and on this planet through his human shepherds, his elders that he has given to the church to care for his sheep. Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4. Starting at verse 11. And he, he being Jesus, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Jesus gave to his flock, gave to his church these roles, these offices, these roles of leadership. And he gave the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes." In other words, like it or not, Jesus gave me, Mark, Ryan, Jeremy, and Justin to you guys so that we could all grow in maturity and to attain growth in Christ. We're a gift from Jesus. I didn't say that. God said that. And where else are we going to go, right? God said that. So you can ponder that. You can chew on that. But you can't take it, leave it, flush it, or chunk it, okay? I didn't say that. God said that. But the onus isn't just on you. It's on us. We must always remember why we were given to the church. And Ephesians 4, 11 to 14 is the epitome passage to remind us of that. So human elders are under shepherds who will ultimately answer to the chief shepherd Hebrews 13 lays that out very clearly in verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Yep, there it is. I didn't say that. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. There's the oversight, the overseer 
description. They are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. One day, every one of us, every, all five of us will stand before God and give an account on how we loved him by shepherding his sheep. I don't know about the other four. I think I can speak for them pretty confidently. That keeps us on our toes. That keeps us focused. That keeps us locked in to what we're supposed to be doing because we will give an account. And then he says, let them do this with joy. You want, you want joyful elders, right? Don't you, you want happy elders? You want glad elders? Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be no advantage to you. So following your, so, okay. You want joyful elders, right? Right? Okay, shake your head, nod your head if you, okay. Then I exhort you on the authority of the word of God to do this. As much as humanly possible, make every effort to make sure that we are striving to follow Jesus, knowing that it won't be perfect, but that we are striving by the power of the Holy Spirit to follow Jesus. Then just follow along. Follow along, get in on the parade. We're marching to Zion. We're, mar- <laughs> we're, we're marching to Zion together. The scripture says this will be an advantage to you, that this will be good for you, that this will be spiritually healthy for you, that this will be a good thing. And that's what God said. So, I want to close just by reading, with, and I know this is very dangerous. Because this verse is so, I mean, this passage is so moving that I'll be tempted to launch off to a rabbit trail. So, trust me, okay? I want to close by just reading, just reading Paul's last words to the Ephesian elders when he left from them. And see if you can pick up some of the things we've been talking about this morning. This is beautiful. I mean, this is, this is poignant text Sunday, right? We saw the restoration of Peter in John 21, and now we're seeing Paul's departure, his farewell address to his fellow elders, starting at verse 17 of Acts chapter 20. And I'm just going to read 11 verses, verse 28, and then we'll pray and we'll come to the table, okay? But I just thought this is, this is, this is a beautiful picture of what we've been talking about. Verse 17, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You know, you yourselves know how I lived among you. There it is. Not lording it over them. How I lived among you. The whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility. And with tears. We've had our share of tears, right? And with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink. I did not wimp out. I did not 
put my finger in the air and see what was culturally acceptable. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But, verse 24, I've got this verse starred in my Bible. And I'll be reading it tonight at our uh, ordination service. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. For Paul, ministry was more important than life. God's calling on him was more important than living. And that's what an elder's got to have. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am, I am innocent of the blood of all of you. Well, Paul, that's an amazing statement. Why are you innocent of their blood? For or because I did not shrink, I did not wimp out, I did not fade away when the worldly satanic system pressed in hard against us. I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves. That's the first step, guys. Pay careful attention to your own spiritual life first. And then to all the flock, all the flock, all, all of them, young and old, man and woman, boy and girl, spiritually mature, spiritually immature, all, all the flock, all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. This is what the Holy Spirit has called you to. You didn't think this up. The Holy Spirit made you this. To care for the church of God. Oh, and here's the reminder. Here's the glorious, serious, uh, heart-influencing, ministry-influencing reminder. Which he obtained with his own blood. Lord, help us hear that. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the flock here that you've attained with your own blood. People purchased by the precious blood of Jesus. May the elders of Rockdale Community Church, whoever they may be, both now and in the future, always remember that. And now, Lord, we come to this table to remember the precious blood that bought us. May our communion with you and with each other be sweet in these closing moments. In Jesus' name, amen.